Hi, and thanks for joining us today on the ProGrace podcast, where we're having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley, and our hope with this podcast is that as we take the risk to have honest, non-political discussions about this important issue, that you will be inspired to do the same. So today, I'm really excited to be joined by Denise Stein, COO of ProGrace. Hi, everybody. And Anne Waddell, our brand new Director of Outreach. Well, so thankful to be here. Yeah, and so we're going to hear Anne's experience. She was actually a pregnancy organization director in, in Canada and went through the ProGrace program. Now she's working with us, but she's going to talk about her experience with that. And we want you to be honest, okay? The good, bad, and the ugly, all right, Anne? That's I'm how we do things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, Denise, I don't have an idiom mess up. I'm actually kind of sad. I you know. haven't done anything lately. I know. I'm sure it's related to COVID, being stuck at home, not being able to interact in person with people as much. So as soon as I get out there again, everybody, I'm getting my second vaccine next Tuesday. Woo-hoo. When I get out there, you'll, you'll hear more. I'm sure you will. <laughs> well, and Anne says it's her favorite part of the other podcasts. <laughs> She's listened to all of them. Now she works with us. But Anne, you have a similar issue you wanted to share because <laughs> English is your second language. Well, well yeah, I'm definitely uh, really a purebred French Canadian from Danny's Canada and Quebec. And uh, I laugh at you guys through your podcast. are so funny. First of all, I had to look up what idioms meant. <laughs> I, I did so many Google search in my life. I learned to speak English when I was 20, when I moved wow. into Western Canada. And, you know, you, you asked me uh, about being honest. Well, I, I am always honest, but not always understood. <laughs> the challenge that I face. Early in my marriage, my husband and I met and, and grew in our relationship through me learning uh, to speak English. And one morning I'm in the kitchen asking him for the spatula. I said, honey, where is the spatula? And I get this funny look that I often got many, many times through. And I'm losing my patience and raising my voice a little bit. I knew I was saying the right word, but just the wrong pronunciation. Where is the spatula? And finally, he says, oh, do you mean the spatula? And, uh, so a lot of grace there. You see, I really relate to the whole grace language right there. And then later on, it, 30 years later, it's still there. Just a few yeah. weeks ago, you know, facing COVID and not being able to access our hairdresser the way we, we usually do. I was in my one of my uh, team members' office, and I happened to look at myself in the mirror, and I said to her, I says, you know what? So I really look forward to go back to the hairdresser. I just don't like how heavy my bangs are on my foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. She just on her face, not knowing what to think of me. And she said, do, do you mean to say your forehead? Oh. That's awesome. That's so, yeah, awesome. Always honest, but oh. not always understood. Yeah. Oh, oh that gosh. is so cute. But see, 
But you have an excuse because English is your second language. English is my first and only <laughs> only language, and I still can't speak it very well, apparently. Oh, so, but what's great, yeah. Denise, is I actually have a story to tell on myself, too. So you get a pass today. This will be the oh, one yeah. podcast where we don't make fun of you. We'll make fun oh. of us. But Denise and I were on a Zoom call this week, and I, I knew it was going to be – it was a weighty issue we are talking about. I was thinking there might be some places where we disagree. So I'm like, I'm into this Huga thing now, Huga the Danish word for cozy and all things cozy and everyone's making fun of me, but I'm reading two books on it. And so I thought I'm going to light a candle for this zoom call because that's very Hugo. It's very oh, comforting. Right. <laughs> Remember this? And so it, the meeting went well and towards the end, my computer was dying. So I just reached over to grab my um, power cord to plug my computer in and my hair caught on fire in the candle. <laughs> Angie, you were in a meeting with me. You realize that, right? I know, but I'm telling Anne. I mean, and I could see it out of the side. Now, I don't know how big it was, but out of my peripheral vision, it looked like humongous, like it was going to dwarf my face. And so I got it out quickly, um, and there was hair falling all over, and I finished yeah. the Zoom call. But you can't yeah, even all of it, I know. All of a sudden, she's screaming. I'm like, what are you doing? Can we just finish I, our thought here and move was, on? I, mean, I think there was an explicative, too, because I was so scared it was going to burn my face. And I think it's all the hairspray I use. I'm a child Oh, of yeah, 80s. that can light up. No, that, that can light up. That can light up. But well, my hair know, is so curly, you can't even tell now. So it all turned out okay. I mean, now that we're, now that we're on this, have I ever shared my fireplace story? <laughs> I was trying to let you get through without being made fun of, but if you want to share it, go ahead. All right. Well, I mean, I, I just, I think I should, because it just reminds me of this so much. So we have a fireplace in our house and in order to turn, it's a gas fireplace. In order to turn it on, you have to open the flue underneath, you know, you got to push it up with your hand before you, and then you turn the gas on and then you have to use one of those like electric lighter things to light it. So, um, easy peasy, but you have to remember to open the flu. Well, we have had so many international guests in our home over the years through our church. They stay with us. So we had two guests from Germany who had just arrived and we don't know them. They're, you know, they don't know us, but they're pastors and we welcome them in. So they'd just gotten into our home and they were tired from their flight. And one of them just, I would think I was making coffee and one of them wanted to sit with his laptop in the family room. It was November. So I said, oh, please let me light the fire for you. So I'm talking with him as I'm lighting it. And what did I forget to do? I forgot to open the flue because I was distracted talking to him. And I, I turned, you know, I lit the thing and, and the fire blew out at me because that's what happens if you don't open the flue. And I, was so shocked. Like I didn't even know what happened. And I turned to him and he's sitting in the chair. I turned to him and I said, did you see that? That was so weird. And as I'm talking, I'm smelling this really <laughs> awful smell. My hair is falling in pieces and my eyelashes, like they feel like they're glued kind of like stuck. But I don't, I don't even know this man. He's been in my house for like 15 minutes. So I'm trying to be really hospitable. And I, he, you should have seen the look on his face. I mean, it was a look of like shock. And I said, oh, I think, <laughs> I think I burned a little of my hair. I, I, let me just go take a shower. I mean, anyway, it was the most embarrassing. And so I went up, I took a shower, literally 
I burned a whole section of the top of my head. So I was trying to like cover it with like my bangs a little bit. And then I'm re-putting makeup on, you know, to look different at my mascara. It was like, I would go whoop. And like, there was nothing like I had completely lost my eyelashes. Anyway, came down, we had dinner, you know, we were being formal and all that. By the next morning, we were a little more relaxed with each other and chill and and I, and so I brought it up again. I said, do you realize not only did I lose my hair on the top of my head, but I actually l- burned some of my eyelashes. And he goes in kind of this thick German accent. He goes, I know. And I said, how do you know? He's like, they were glistening. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, oh, I, you know what? I do have funny idiom stories, but honestly, I got a lot of other funny stories. Okay, we'll have to make sure we have you dredge one up each time. But I want to say something to honor you. That was Hyuga. You gave him coffee and a fire. That's like way up there on the Hyuga scale. So at least you made him cozy. Didn't he also, because I've heard this story 20 times, didn't when you turned to him and you were blinking, didn't he say to you, your hair? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, because it was all falling. Like it was falling. Yeah, no, the poor man. I mean, bless his heart, you know. So anyway, that's so, my story. That's, and that's not what we're here to talk about today, but no. that's really fun. And it, we want this to feel like a very Hugo conversation as if we all had a cup of coffee and we weren't separated by the miles and COVID. But we're excited to talk today because actually, Anne, um, you went through the ProGrace program. You were our first virtual team to go through this. And we've known you now for, I guess you contacted us probably two years ago, actually. And so we just wanted to talk to you because, you know, our team's been doing a lot of research and finding out the tensions that many pregnancy organization leaders experience in this space. And the first tension is that oftentimes they feel lost in the politics of this issue. So we have people who want to serve women, serve children, but um, there's all the politics swirling. And because of that, the second tension is they don't often know how to talk about their work. I mean, that was my experience. If you've heard our first podcast, I had no idea how to talk about this work. And we're finding out that that's very common with other leaders. And then the third tension is that um, oftentimes, even though they were started by local churches, local churches can be hesitant to partner with them, especially as this issue gets more divisive. So we just wanted to hear from you. Was there one or more of those tensions that you were experiencing when you contacted us, when you found us online from Canada and contacted us to find out more about ProGrace? Well, no, I have to say that uh, our first conversation just over two years ago, and I remember ending our phone conversation saying, wow, that was love at first sight. <laughs> we felt <laughs> yeah. the same way. <laughs> it was so refreshing. And I remember being on the call with my client services director, Linda, and we looked at each other and just uh, overwhelmed with the, the, the gift that that conversation brought to us. That mm. finally, somebody else was speaking the language that we, we had been prompted to, to incorporate and the attitude and the heart and the whole work of what we were doing, being, being just challenged to how to uh, have God's true heart reflected in the issue and uh, was an ongoing challenge. And for me, you know, I was a volunteer for, for six years, then became the executive director for nine years. And I just saw through the movement of Pregnancy Care Center, uh, many conversations were starting to develop to say, 
okay, some, some things are, are not quite right. There's some things that need to change. We need to do that better, uh, the way to impact our community. And like you often say, I've heard, you know, to just to build the bridges and remove the walls, mm. have safe conversations in our, in our community. And were there some specific things that, that you experienced in your time as a volunteer and a leader, you know, that made you realize this? Like, what was that journey? Are there, were there some specific things that stand out to you that made you realize, oh, maybe we haven't done this right? Well, that's right. The, the biggest thing was the, the attack from the, I think we're all experiencing that in North America. There's a you know, coalition, the pro-abortion mm. coalition. And then uh, we made the, the media and the news to some of the uh, attacks and complaints and uh, judgment they have for the, the work that the pregnancy care movement's doing. And then we started using that as a tool to evaluate the work mm-hmm. we were doing. Yeah. And there was some truth. And I know you have some podcasts that touch on that with, mm-hmm. with Laura. And there was some truth. So we were able to, to use that and, and bless the work we do by saying, okay, what, what, what is real and what is not? Mm-hmm. And what is it we can improve on? How can we uh, be, be better known for the work we do? And how can we better reflect God's true heart of grace and unconditional of the work we do? Mm-hmm. And no matter who's looking in, at the work we do mm-hmm. to be a, a safe place. So that was oh, a, a yeah. big eye opener for us. Yeah. Well, and that shows your humility because I think the first response for a lot of us, and I see this networking with leaders um, in this space across the nation, I think a lot of people can get defensive. And the first reaction is, we aren't doing that because maybe we aren't doing the worst. That is being said, but I think to have the humility to say, are we doing any of this? Because if we're doing any of this, that wouldn't be reflecting Jesus well. That's not mm-hmm. what he would do. So, and yeah. I just want to say something as, as pro-grace, and you know, we do this all the time, but you said the word pro-abortion coalition. I don't know if you realize that, but you know, when we use language, we, um, we try to, that's interesting. There's like a People use the word pro-abortion to describe pro-choice, or they'll use anti-choice to describe pro-life. And so we found that even just looking at that language, there's a lot of pro-choice people who aren't actually for abortion, right? They, they think it's necessary, but they're not for it. Just like there's a lot of pro-life people who do want a woman to you know, have choice. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out since we're having these conversations, that even small words like that, you've been so great to, to say, I want to look at that and think if that word is causing me to be misunderstood by someone, I want to change it. Yeah. And I think it really speaks to the huge divide and the chasm between what has become these two distinct sides. And um, I love what you did. And by saying, you know what, instead of getting defensive, yeah. I'm going to listen to the criticism and, and stop for a moment and say, okay, is any of this true? And that's like the beginning of being able to bridge that divide to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And then I'm going to move toward conversation. Because I think what Angie's responding to is, as we went out and had conversations with quote unquote, the other side, we realized that there's so many different perspectives and views and so much more common ground in this whole mix than we realize because we don't talk to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that reminds me, Anne, because we've had this discussion several times, you know, there's a word used in the pro-life spaces um, to describe a woman who's had an abortion, and often people will say post-abortive. And I remember being at a, it was a common ground meeting put on by the National Association of Evangelicals, and I took the risk and invited Laura. Um, And there were, really, we were all over the map in terms of how we viewed abortion. There were about eight people there. And one man kept saying that word over and over, which Mm. I won't say again, because it, and I could see her physically responding. And so afterward, I talked to her about it, and she said, that's so that's such a shame word. And it, it, it gives a woman an identity, you mm-hmm. know, like this is her identity now that she's had an abortion. And it was like the Lord opened my eyes in that minute. And I don't think I've ever said the word since. And we talk about mm-hmm. how things like that can get so ingrained, but we have to pay attention to how people are receiving it yeah. and say, I don't want to cause harm with this language. It's more important that the love and grace of Jesus be seen. But had I been defensive, you know, we never would have been able to be on this journey. So um, I've had that experience too. Yeah. So true. We all and, have. We all have. And we've appreciated that so much. And some, some of the things we've learned uh, from our formation and training with ProGrace is just be so much more sensitive with some of the words we use has had a big, big impact. And we're mm-hmm. able to turn around into a community in our conversations to, to help them with that as well. And to be able to tell, you know, that, that uh, a woman that, choose to terminate her pregnancy and we have the privilege to sit and hear the stories mm-hmm. and hear the reality of our, of our world and we've learned from you you know through your your research that the two primary needs that they have is the emotional support and practical resources mm-hmm. a very critical message to communicate to to help them understand how we can better serve in the issue mm-hmm. and you know when we tell our community that for a woman that it be funded or not funded uh, legal or Ill, illegal is irrelevant to her, her ability to equip her to make a well-informed choice mm-hmm. but we have to go out there and, and tell the stories and change our language and how is that how's that received in Canada because that's an interesting I want to say that again whether it's legal or illegal funded or not because Canadian has more national funding I think um, maybe than the U.S. It's irrelevant when the woman's making the decision. Can you speak more to that? And and what happens when you say that to either your staff team, your churches, or your community? Yeah, it, it fantastic. You know, we started talking a little bit earlier about the impact of our of our pro-grace uh, relationship training and all that. And the biggest impact is individually. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us as staff, as volunteers, as board members that take on this formation, this training, it just change your own heart. And that's mm-hmm. where it starts. Mm-hmm. So when you have those conversations and you start sharing your heart in that way, it really impacts people. And uh, I found uh, people say, wow, you know, we, we've never heard of the issue spoken that way. When we have conversation, able to say that, uh, that yeah, that women face those difficult circumstances, they have those two primary need. Mm-hmm. And where are we as a community mm-hmm. to come alongside and meet them where they're at and yeah. do that? Instead of being divided and fighting, be opinionated, doesn't serve her well. Mm-hmm. And then in all that, then once we do that, it is amazing uh, what happens. One of my favorite stories I, I tell people, I says, uh, you know, I have stories to tell you that, that can show you that women can choose to terminate the pregnancy out of love. Mm-hmm. They get really quiet. Mm-hmm. So how can that be? That's a way you can imagine a, a young woman that grew up in a Christian home that moved away to go to university and uh, 
make choices that uh, don't match with her values and finds herself pregnant. Well, she heard her dad preach uh, about abortion and unplanned pregnancy and all that. And uh, will she come home and, and or phone home and say, mom and dad, I'm pregnant? Her first response was to want to take care of it. She was going to spare them the, the shame and the guilt yeah, and the yeah. embarrassment out of love for them because it would be just all on her and everybody else would be spared. It is an amazing thing. Or the young woman that, uh, you know, was uh, in foster care since the age of four and finds herself uh, moving on and on and uh, into drug addiction and uh, and uh, sex trade and uh, homelessness and all of these difficult things that comes with those and, uh, and finds herself pregnant. Is she going to want to bring the child in the world that she knows? She will want to spare that child the pain that she suffered and uh, choose to terminate the pregnancy. And those are real stories. Those are people yeah. that we've faced and we've heard about. So once the community hear those conversations, they're, they're changed. And mm -hmm. then us, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here and I'll let you go on uh, oh. a little bit because I can go on for a long I'm <laughs> that's, Canadian, remember that. That's I what we love about you. That's what we love about <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, and, and what you're saying, and really it just speaks to Taking time, um, and, and again, allowing, I think, Jesus and the Holy Spirit to, to let us sit with where somebody's at for a moment, to, to put ourselves as best we can in their place, in their shoes, and just to try to understand the complexity of any, any particular situation and story, and just empathize with it before we go quick to a side or to uh, the decision or to what we think is best. And that's what Jesus did. Like, you know, we often say, Angie, that pro-grace is not it, it, its own unique philosophy. It's really just the gospel mm -hmm. overlaid in the space. Like, how did Jesus interact? How would he interact if he were here today? He'd get down um next to somebody and really try to understand. And in doing that, we discover, as you said, Anne, that it's emotional support, it's practical resources, it's the shame and judgment, it's the, the fear of going to people, perhaps in the church or whatnot, to say, you know, I'm pregnant and, and I need I need to process this and, 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 and I need some support and that kind of thing that keeps, that allows abortion to continue the way that it has in so many situations. And you talk about, you know, the community and I, I think of thinking of Jesus, you know, I, I know I say this a lot, but I think it starts with how we view our relationship with Jesus. So mm, I know for me, I go to shame really quickly. I've heard it said people go to shame or fear when they're, you know, make a mistake or whatever, I go to shame right away. And so the voice of Jesus is always, he's so gentle with me and he'll help me unpack why I just made that mistake. Maybe I was lonely or maybe, you know, there was this other deep need going on that caused me to do this thing that I feel ashamed about. And I think if we as Christians spoke that to each other more, if we heard it more from our pulpits, if we were ingrained in that ourselves, that creates a people a group of people who are humble 
you know, who say we're just like anybody else. Because when I hear um, the community's criticism of Christians, I hear you're judgmental, you're self-righteous, you think you're better than us. And I think until we start living with our own human condition, Mm -hmm. that makes it hard to empathize with other people's human condition. But the grace that Mm -hmm. Jesus releases you know, anytime we talk about pro-grace um, in a church, some of the first people who start to open up are those who've had abortions, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. I'm so glad. I mean, grace really opens it up, but it also makes me sad because they'll say, I've never told anybody this mm-hmm. in this church. And so I feel like we still have a lot of work to do. But the exciting thing is like what you're seeing when grace is released, then these stories start to come out. We start to be real with each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. One of the main beautiful thing uh, to this uh, learning to do those new conversations with the grace approach is that the, the, what we value the most, of course, is uh, it's God's heart and his heart mm-hmm. and the issue. And to be able to have those conversations uh, with everybody and any, anybody, wherever they come from and wherever they sit on the issue, you know, to be able to say that, that uh, you know, it's not in God's design to for women to choose to terminate a pregnancy, but we recognize that they face such circumstances that unless we come alongside and provide for those two primary need or the emotional support practical, sometimes they see no other option but to terminate their pregnancies. And I says, you know, uh, as a as a as a Christian organization, that's the hearts, the values by which we operate and we serve. And you know that the beauty about it is that no matter what they choose to do, we're there for them. Mm-hmm. And I usually, there's a very quiet uh, silence that just happens at that point. No matter who they are, I don't have to worry about where they stand, if they're Christian or non-Christian. It gets really quiet. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tear up mm-hmm. and say, wow, I've never heard of the issue spoken that way before. And that's not who I thought you guys were. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, they open up. Wow. And that's not necessarily around abortion or unplanned pregnancy. Often it's other very, uh, yeah, critical mm-hmm. issues or controversial issues in our community that we uh, mm-hmm. are facing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And are you yeah. finding, was that happening before? Like, talk about before. Were you able to go in the community and be able to have these conversations, you know? What was definitely that like? not okay? There was a there was a big stirring and a, a big challenge to figure out uh, who am I talking to and having to, having feeling like I had to have two different conversations mm-hmm. with the Christians or with the, the secular the business world, not knowing them enough intimately to know where they stood on the issue. Now I'm totally liberated from that. Where the yeah. conversation is the same, mm-hmm. and wow. it's it, there's posture, there's uh, there's almost pride in a good way. To say, wow, this is so gracious. This will make people turn towards God, not away from mm-hmm. Him. This will want him, them to want to know Him a little bit better. And a beauty about it, that we're equipping our community to be better about it in their mm-hmm. own life, in their own surrounding. One of my favorite lines when I was speaking in churches is I've learned to say, if you have one takeaway from this morning, if you remember that one out of four women have experienced an abortion, I said, remember that. Is that your mother, your Mm. daughter, your sister, your best friend? It gets really, really quiet again. Mm. I said, you have to remember that one out of four. So will your words, your attitude, your your action bring you healing and restoration or add to the possible guilt and and shame they could be experiencing? And that is a major you know, take away for people mm. to 
and to remember that I yeah. find that had a big impact. And do you yeah. find that impact across people of different faith and political persuasions? Like, are you finding a difference in how people respond or is it similar? It's similar all across. And sometimes it's even a relation for Christians. Yeah. <laughs> mm. You yeah. know, it's a, for anybody, no matter which, which, which religion, which faith, uh, no faith, which government they vote for, mm -hmm. it is very, very well received. And I think they're, they're being really impacted in a positive way by that kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah, because you know what that does, which I love, is it breaks down this, I think, um, sort of internalized stereotype that I think because of the way this, this whole conversation has gone, especially in the Christian community over the last 30, 40 years, there's sort of a stereotype of what, someone who's experiencing an abortion is like, mm -hmm. uh, what, how broken they are, all of this. It's sort of one view. And what we realize is when you say one out of four and you say women within the church as well as women outside of the church, you're, what you're saying is that's everybody. That's mm -hmm. all of us. So, you know, that's people in solid two-parent Christian homes and people in single-parent homes, people that have money, people that don't, educated not. It's like it just opens up the conversation to say, um, we're all involved. This is us. This is an us thing. It's not just these this specific stereotype of a person that we that we think. And then and again, it just makes it safe to talk. It breaks down those walls. So uh, I love that. And even if we, you know, haven't experienced this, this is us in that all of us as humans, we do and think and internalize things that aren't God's intention, right? He's, right. he's perfection. And so I, I think for Christians to really think, why have I viewed this mm -hmm. as worse than anything that I do or have experienced or think, you know what I mean? Because Jesus really talked about even the thoughts of our heart, the inclinations of our heart, if we hate people in our heart, you know, it's the same to him as murder, like this, this comprehensive, because that's the world that he came into was people really putting people into stereotypes, Denise, and, and judging them based on how yep. bad I'm using quotes, which you can't see how quote unquote bad their behavior was. And Jesus levels the playing field and says, yeah. as humans, there's beauty in all of us. We're made in the image of God. And we all do and think things that aren't yeah. his intent that cause harm either to ourselves yeah. or others and really normalizing that. So we take the stigma out of certain quote unquote issues. Right. And what I don't think we realize, and again, this is the, the deception of the evil one is that by doing that, Angie, what you're talking about by stereotyping, by shaming, ju judging all of that, we are actually uh, involved uh, in abortions happening. Because when women go in secret in the church or whatnot, because they fear that, we're a part of that. We're a part of that. And, and we don't have to own that in a shame-based way. I think what we do is we own that in a, God, you're showing us. Yeah. You're opening our eyes to this so we can really do it differently and make a difference. So, so we own it in a beautiful way of, we want to be more like Jesus, right? you know, so. Um, and in a corporate way. Yeah. Right? In a corporate yeah. way that yeah. it's, you know, we, we talk so much now. I think this is, at least it's a newer revelation for me on, on my journey of, you know, 
abortion is not one moment in time, one decision, one person, which we've reduced it to. Right. We, it's complex. There's sin that's been happening. Uh, and remember, around. we don't even use that word. Remember our conversations with Laura? Right. That's true. <laughs> um, We're working on that. We're working on, so, yeah, trying to communicate Jesus' heart, but go ahead. Yes, yes. Right. What do we say? There are choices. Yeah. There are things that have happened to people. Yes. There are mist- there, it's complex. Yes. It's it's not just... Uh, or different and, words. Yeah, mistakes or things that yeah, we wouldn't right. have wanted to do or things that aren't exactly. God's intent. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we have to look at all of that, not just, you know, again, one woman, one choice, one moment, yeah. which is what we've reduced this to. It's awesome. And you nailed it there, Denise, about it is very complex. And your last uh, newsletter, uh, uh, Angie, you had a beautiful illustration about that, about often we we, we think about the baby Mm -hmm. and that we're missing about uh, the the woman's circumstances that that she's in. And uh, do you want to touch a little bit on that and which illustration you use? That that wasn't me. That was my French-Canadian Quebecois friend, Natasha. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to share. That's just very powerful. Yeah. You know, um, I will. And then I want to make sure we have time to hear your vision. And I want to make sure we close with that. But yeah. So Natasha um, is a leader of a pregnancy organization in Montreal, right? That's right. Urban, Quebec. And then Benoit is a pastor there. Is that right, Anne? He's a pastor. That's right. He's on the the, the board of directors to help. uh, Yeah. Yes. Start this uh, initiative. Yeah. So they were in a workshop, we were doing a progress workshop and they went into, they go into, we go into breakout rooms on zoom and Benoit was sharing with his group. He said, you know, I'm really, I'm a bit frustrated because there was someone I was talking to about this progress approach and the man, it was a man, Christian man got agitated and said, well, I think Benoit was saying, we don't tell a woman what to do. We approach her with grace. We give her what she needs. And the man got a little agitated and said, well, if a woman had a gun to the head of a child, wouldn't you do something? And so Natasha, and so Benoit said, I didn't, I don't even know what to say. You know, these kind of false binary moral dilemmas. And um, Natasha said, so Angie, I did what you told us to do in the training. I said, Jesus, what, what would I say if someone asked me that question? Which, stop right there. That's the highlight of my work. When someone says that, right, they invited Jesus in to say something. And she said that this question immediately popped into her head. And it was, well, what about the gun to her head? And that's what happens when we invite Jesus in. You know, he pans out. I almost see that man who forced the dilemma, like Denise is talking about. He's got a telephoto lens just looking at this one woman, one child, this instant. Jesus has the wide-angle lens, and he Mm. pans out to show us everything that's happening and all of Mm. the human suffering that is happening, and and in that moment just shifts our perspective. And so that's... The beauty of what we're doing. Imagine if every Christian would do that in every mm-hmm. conversation about this issue, say, yeah. Jesus, what do you want me to say? Um, the difference that could make. So, so Anne, I want to make sure we have time to really hear from you when you think about the future and you have such a passion and a vision, you know, you've done this as a pregnancy organization director. Now you're actually doing outreach to many pregnancy uh, directors. What's your vision for North America, North American Christians, the community? women and children, all of it. Yeah, well, big, big vision. Can I just share one more thing before of I get course. into my passionate vision? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, we're talking about uh, education and values and meeting people where they're at. And the grace is extended to the people too that don't maybe share in our values and our oh, things. Yeah. I've been at 
at both ends of the spectrum. And I, I can humble myself to say there was a time uh, in my early 20s when the, my set of values and my, uh, my influence in my community uh, had yeah, brought me in such a place that I made some poor choices and a time where I thought I was pregnant. And that was just two or three weeks before uh, joining the police force, which has been a dream of my life since I was 12 years old. I worked really hard to be accepted and to be able to go on into the police force for the training. Just two, three weeks before, I'm thinking that I'm pregnant. So I was going to do what I knew to do. There were the set of values that I had at the time was to go across the border to the States and have my my abortion, like many of my friends had done and uh, through high school and gone back to school the next day and were fine. So I'm thankful that uh, to God that uh, that was not the case. It was not a pregnancy. And I didn't have to, to be faced with such a difficult decision. Mm. Fast forward to a few years later when I became a born-again Christian on fire for Christ, thinking that the best way to serve him in that um, issue and that movement was to do the, the picketing and the strong voice and uh, the lobbying and all that. And um, to uh, to quickly then get involved into the movement of the pregnancy center and then sit across from the women and hear the stories. Mm-hmm. And just, just my heart changed. And that's where the stirring started. Heard mm-hmm. the stories, the circumstances where at times I was left thinking, wow, I don't even know what I would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Under those circumstances. And that's what we need to do. So that is my vision. Mm-hmm. It's my passion that we need to send a message across our communities to help them understand the issue of an intended pregnancy and the circumstances around there and to come with such a, a heart and a way that will bring people to God and not away from God. Turn to the church and not away from the church mm. so that they too can experience His grace, His unconditional love and His healing no matter what they choose to do in their mm. circumstances. So what if? We could all, I think, uh, the reason of that, then we don't have to open pregnancy care centers in every single community. We just got to equip our churches and our, mm-hmm. our Christian community to do that better. Yeah. And then, then the beauty about it, then it will turn people to God, to who he really is, to, be, uh, to have his true heart revealed in the issue. And then they can experience, uh, yeah, eternal life, the mm-hmm. ultimate gift of all. So, that is my my vision, my heart, my passion, and I think this uh, uh, progress, the work you've put into it, the work your work yet to be done, will revolutionize. That's a big word for a French girl. Oh. Revolutionize <laughs> <laughs> the issue of abortion in North America and beyond, the Lord willing. Yeah. Well, and your That's voice awesome. in this, um, God is doing something in Canada. I mean, you're mm. really seeing. This must have been happening in people's hearts for a long time, and to see the resonance you're seeing. What do you think about that in terms of the pregnancy care centers there? So true. Yeah, I think that the Holy Spirit moves, and uh, people are being obedient. They're starting to have conversation, talk, be brave enough to say, uh, can we do this different? Can we have a, a different approach? How can we really impact? And the big thing is to involve our, com- our whole community. Yeah just a Christian community and us uh, when I was uh, the ED of the prank what that allowed to do is our stakeholders our support grew beyond the church Mm. people just loved and embraced the way we were communicating our attitude around our work our heart our ways of grace approach and unconditional Mm. love and our support grew far beyond 
what we asked and imagined was, was beautiful. We were able to expand into other communities. We were able to develop a beautiful maternity home program. And we just grew and grew and the resources grew beyond the church. That is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I'm tying it back now as we end to what you started out saying, which was the pro-choice coalition that is, you know, saying pregnancy centers are unethical and, and, and saying some things that are true, we talked about, but have this intent. There's a fear. There tended to be a fear of that. But when grace came in, when God shifted the language and the perspective, now coming full circle, you're seeing support from the community yeah. instead of, I don't want to use the word attack, but you know what I mean? Instead of the conflict, you're, you're actually going to the community and seeing support. And that's what God mm. does. And that's why we want yeah. this shift because now you're building bridges where before yeah. you were in fear. Yeah. And so, you know, it all started as, as Jesus always does with us, with us looking at ourselves first, which is what Anne did yep. and Angie, what God allowed us to do um, years ago when we started this. And, and as you said, Angie, if Christians would do that, there would be a revolution. There would be a reformation in this whole issue. If we would just be okay with just humbly looking at ourselves first and then allowing God to move from there. Yeah. So yeah. true. That's so good. I think um, everyone needs to have teenagers to have the <laughs> humility to look inside first. That, that, yeah. That's my humble growth curve right now. <laughs> Apologizing like all the time. Love them more when they're least lovable. I love that. You told me that story about your son saying that to you. That helped me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for loving me more when I was least lovable. That saw me through. And you know what's interesting? I was reading uh, uh, the Word of God this morning. And the last verse of the Bible in Revelation 22, 21, the last sentence says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Mm. Isn't that interesting? That is the last words, is that the mm. grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. I and never knew that. that. It's not yeah. interesting. Yeah, Holy Spirit's good. Woo, Shows up. That's how Amazing. the whole Bible ends, on grace. Yeah. I that's love great. it. Well, Anne, yeah. you were just, we're so grateful that we met you. And yep. your, it's your combination of the humility and the vision and faith that we've just seen God use you tremendously. And we're just so thankful you're on this journey, and we look forward to what God's going to do in all of North America, um, especially you Canucks up there. You guys are just tearing it up. <laughs> Canucks. So. Awesome. I feel, feel privileged and honored to have been asked to join this great team to partner with you and just see what God's agenda yeah. is moving forward, and uh, to him, to all the glory, and uh, is true heart being revealed. That's an exciting thing. Amen. 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 Well, thanks Amen. for everybody else joining us on this journey. And I hope that wherever you stand on this issue, this has been food for thought. And we can all start by taking a look inside before trying to have these new conversations. Until next time, thanks. Goodbye.